You guys ever been in a situation where uh, you're not as prepared as you want to be? Okay. I just doesn't matter. Um, has nothing to do with how I feel right now. It's just random, <laughs> random question that I thought about asking. Um, tonight we are going to be back in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up there. Um, and in just a bit, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. But today I have two things that I usually never have, which is a title for a message and some stories at, to share at the beginning. So this evening's teaching is called The Insanity of Social Hierarchy in Jesus' Church. And the stories are as follows. Uh, I used to be a high school pastor a while ago. And one of the most uncomfortable things that I ever did uh, semi-regularly was visiting high school students at their high school. And so I grew up here in Salem, so I went to Sprague High School. And it was just one of the things that we were supposed to do as uh, high school pastors is go spend time with the students where they were at. You know, like we wanted them to come to our church and come to our youth group, but the best thing for us to do was to actually go meet them where they were at. And so we would go during lunchtime to spend time and to kind of visit the students that, that went to our church and say hi to them. Um, and though some great things happened, I'm sure, as I reflect on those times that I went there, it was just cringy and awkward and terrible. And if we ever have a youth ministry here and there's a youth pastor, I will tell him, you can if you want to, but you don't have to because it's terrible. Um, what happened was it just like viscerally brings back high school memories, particularly for me because I went to that high school and it was, you know, like five years later that I went back as a high school pastor to hang out with these students. But it's just like whatever social insecurity or anxiety you felt as a 15-year-old or 16-year-old, if you want a way to feel that again, just go back to your physical high school and just walk in the doors and be like, oh no, they can see me. Um, <laughs> and the weird thing is like the same kinds of students that made me feel insecure when I was in high school, I could spot them, but just that version of them, like I'm seven years, eight years older than them and they still make me feel very, very terrible and insecure. Less than, not as cool. I'm fine now. I don't mean to say I'm cool now. I mean, I'm fine with not being cool now. Um, but you can see them as an adult. You're like, you are the current version of, I don't want to say the guy's name that popped into my mind, but someone surely did pop into my mind. Like you're the 16-year-old version of this guy that I knew. Um, not only that, did I feel really insecure there, but I could tell the students that I was visiting felt really awkward because I had just like encroached upon their territory. And for those of the, those students that like to kind of keep their church life and their school or personal life separate, I was just crashing in on that and really bothering them. And you could see it on their face. And if I felt weird, they felt even more weird. So you'd go and be like, hey, what's going on? You sit down with them, try not to be awkward, but there was no way around the fact that it was awkward. And you could just tell they were like in their minds and with their eyes saying, please leave me alone. Make them introduce their friends to you. And like, how do you, how do you know this guy? He's like, oh, he's, he's my youth pastor. It's like, you go to church, what? And they feel terrible. It's really great. One of the other things that would happen too is the groups of people that I knew from youth group, like if they were in a small group or they, they hung out when they were at church, oftentimes they were not people that would hang out together at the school. They had kind of their own separate groups of friends. And it was really sad. One of the things I saw constantly was um, a student that would have some friends at church and then not have friends at school. So they're sitting like in one part of the lunchroom and I'm hanging out with them and I can see, you know, 10 other kids that go to our youth group and I'm like, 
why aren't you hanging out with this dude who's like eating by himself or he's clearly very like sad or, or lonely or something like that. But you could just see, like if you just look out at the lunchroom and pick out the students that you, that you knew, something is wrong here. There's some type of social hierarchy uh, amongst these high school students that's actually like doing some damage and making people sad and kind of causing friendships to exist in the church, but then not outside. Um, it was really sad. So adding that to how sad I felt being there, you can see why it just wasn't very fun. Um, but school, school is hard, uh, especially high school. Social tensions are heightened. So it's like, I'll give the students a pass. That's awkward for everybody when, we're at, when they're at, at school. Surely they'd be nicer to each other when they're at church, at youth group, right? That they would welcome and accept each other. Wrong. So I can tell you the students felt uncomfortable at the school, but when they really felt uncomfortable was when someone else outside of their church circle from school all of a sudden came to church and came to their youth group and they're like, what are you doing here? Like, you like see each other and it's like seeing a teacher outside of school and you're like, oh my gosh, you're a human being and I didn't want to know that. Um, so when someone that they weren't expecting, someone that maybe they're embarrassed about like how they've treated or how they've acted around them would show up to youth group, they'd be like, oh, this is awkward. Um, they'd feel awkward and uncomfortable. They were kind of, their, their territories and their divided life was collapsing in a really uncomfortable way. Um, and one of the most common reasons I heard why um, a student would want to come to a youth group and maybe start, start coming and then stop coming was that they, wouldn't, that they didn't fit in, uh, that they didn't feel welcome. They would, the word that they would use at the time was that, that youth group felt really clicky. There were groups of friends that existed and it was too difficult um, to kind of break into those friend groups. Um, people had their small groups and their, their circle of friends and they were comfortable with those and they didn't want to disrupt that the, the current students didn't want to disrupt what they had going on by adding new people into it, especially people that maybe knew a different side of that person from school. Last story. Um, last summer, uh, Mark and his wife, Kristen, and then my wife, Kristen, and I went to Lake Tahoe to this um, a conference, like a retreat for pastors. Um, there's some churches that we, at one point, were kind of in the same network as them, and all those pastors got together, all their wives and a bunch of leaders from their church. We got together in Lake Tahoe. It was super fun. Um, it was like for three days or something and we were just getting encouraged and, and taught how to be healthy, good pastors and how to have healthy, good churches. And uh, so we were in a room full of pastors for three days, eating breakfast and dinner together, um, worshiping together, listening to older, wiser pastors, encourage us and talk to us how to be better pastors and all that good stuff. Um, and what I can tell you how I like the feeling I have the most when I think about that is how aware I was of it sounds like an intense way to phrase it but the social hierarchy even in that context where I was a nobody coming into this room I knew a few people and it's embarrassing to admit how much it felt like high school to me where I was like I don't know if these people like think I'm cool. They don't even know who I am. Like I know some of them and there's, there's these other guys, other pastors that I do kind of know. And I, I wish that they were asking me to hang out with them. And there's this other like sage wise pastor dad who was kind of one of the gurus for the weekend. And he was doing the teaching. I was like, I want, again, shameful to say it out loud or I never said it this way. Like I want him to know me so he can like validate me. And we're just kind of, I was doing this social hierarchy dance in my mind and it was making me sick and I felt uncomfortable and uh, you guys probably didn't know that. Uh, maybe you felt the same way, I don't know. Um, but just this, I know, this constant like 
where do I fit in this, in this family of God, in this group of Christians? Do I fit? Do these people like me? Am I accepted here? Um, we didn't go back to that retreat this year. Just not because of that, though. That's not, that's not why, I promise. That's why I was like, ah, we should save some money. Also, I felt terrible. No. Um, where was I going with that story? I don't even know. Um, here's what these stories have uh, helped me realize and think about. The desire to be great, maybe we would never use those words, but uh, that'll make sense in a bit. To have status and to feel valued, valued, to feel comfortable and accepted in a community is universal and really strong. That desire is really strong. And maybe I'm talking about it and you're like, yeah, I feel you, I feel that. Maybe that just feels like it doesn't even need to be said to you. But that desire in us is just a ravenous monster. The second thing, it is tragically easy to not welcome and accept others. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes it's just uh, on accident. It's easy to not facilitate the belonging and acceptance of someone else, regardless of who they are or their status in your circle or whatever. Um, so those are two things I've, I'm thinking about coming into this passage that we're about to read. The desire to, to be great and valued is, is, and accepted is strong and it's really easy to, um, to not help other people feel that way. Uh, so let's read Matthew 18, verses one through nine. We've, we've taught verses one through four already, and we're just, I'm not reteaching them, but they're, they pertain to the rest of our passage, so I'm gonna read those as well. So Matthew 18, verse one. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would um, work uh, in spite of how unprepared I feel and that you would um, just, just do something that I cannot do, even if I was as prepared as I wanna be that you would move in and through these words that we are studying, that your spirit would be alive to us as we look over this text and, and seek to align ourselves with Jesus. We love you and we pray these things in your name, amen. 
So this whole chapter, chapter 18, we're just getting started on it, it is one of Jesus' longest teachings, uh, like a whole long segment, and it is specifically about, all the chapter, about his vision for the church and how disciples should relate to one another. In fact, it has one of the few uses of the actual word church that Jesus, uh, the few times he says it, it's a little bit later in the passage. So while we need to maybe bridge some context to help make sure we understand how how we think about it and apply it today, make no mistake that these words of Jesus are for us for sure. It is a blueprint for why and how the church must become a family through welcoming and accepting each other. And that's the first half of the chapter. And then also why the church must practice radical forgiveness of one another. And that's the second half. Um, But the key to understanding our passage today is actually in the very first verse of the chapter. The disciples want to know who is the greatest in this hierarchy of Jesus's kingdom. It's perhaps because Jesus just told them a few verses back that he was going to die. And so maybe they're wondering like who's, who's next in line to kind of help run this whole kingdom of God thing when he's gone. Either way, they are, they're trying to learn where it is they fit, these disciples, where it is they fit in this social hierarchy of the kingdom of God. They wanna know if they've got it and if they're great. So Jesus brings a child to them, a child who has zero status in this culture. And then he tells them, unless you become like this child, you can't be in the kingdom. And then rather than uh, rebuking their question, he's not rebuking them for asking who's the greatest, he just redefines what it means to be great in this kingdom. And he defines it and he says, if you become like this child, that's when you will be great in this kingdom. So I think in Jesus's mind, the idea of being like a child doesn't refer necessarily to obviously being young or, or the innocence of children. I think it refers specifically to this inherent humility and lack of status that children have, particularly in this culture. They are not yet playing a social game of trying to be great and trying to like um, one up each other um, socially in their, own, in their status. They are fundamentally humble because they have no other operating mode. They are totally dependent on the adults around them, their mother and their father to take care of them. So Jesus not only wants us to put on that type of total humility and dependence on others, but also uh, like a child um, to not play this social hierarchy game of trying to be great or cool or have status or anything like that, trying to increase our social position. So the disciples ask who is the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus responds saying, if you wanna be great in my kingdom, be like this child who isn't concerned with their status in the social order, but they humbly receive all that they have, their sustenance, their protection, their love, and their belonging as a gift from their family. So that's one through four. And then verse five, Jesus takes it a bit further in the the verses that we're focusing on today, five through nine. So verse five, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So not only did Jesus affirm childlikeness is the ticket to the kingdom, but when a person welcomes or receives someone like that, someone like a child who has no status, who is dependent on others, who is maybe less than in your eyes, when you welcome or receive someone in this way, they're actually welcoming and receiving Jesus himself. Uh, This isn't referring literally to like a grown-up accepting a child into the Christian community. It's referring to a disciple welcoming and receiving and actually accepting into their community another would-be disciple who maybe has less or no status. 
so one who isn't great in terms of the social hierarchy of the world. And children, again, were very, very low in this system. It's why at one time, maybe multiple times, uh, Jesus' disciples tried to keep children from coming to Jesus. They thought that, he would be, that they would be a bother to him. Um, so Jesus tells the church that when we accept or receive a person who has less status, no status, we'll talk more about kind of what that might mean for us. Um, someone who brings no gain or advantage to you, maybe someone who is a liability in some ways, a person of inherent humility and dependence. When we do this, when we receive and accept into belonging into the family of God, we are actually going to experience and receive the presence of God in a new and special way. We actually get to experience Christ in a, new, in a unique way, I think. So verse five is a, a positive promise of what happens when the church stops asking about how we can be great and be better and increase our status and chooses to welcome and receive anyone, anyone who's on their way towards coming to Jesus. It's a positive promise. Verse six is a warning about what happens when the church doesn't do this, when the church fails to do this. Verse six, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So depending on what translation of the Bible you've got in your hands, some split this little uh, block of text after verse five and then verse six starts a new paragraph, a new section. Your Bible might have a new heading, mine does. Those headings are not in the original language. There's not really verse division or paragraphs in this way that we have them in our Bible. And I think verses five and six ought to be right next to each other. This should be one big paragraph. Um, the reason is if you look at the um, if you look at the original language and the structure of the way that both verses five and six start, they start in like the same way. Verse five literally starts with whoever receives a child. Verse six starts with, but whoever, and then the next verb uh, means to cause one of these people to stumble. So these sentences are very clearly linked in their thought. They're being presented as two opposite or two options that the church has, welcoming someone or causing them to stumble or trip or to stop them from coming to Jesus. The verb in verse six is scandalizo. We've seen this word before. We talked about it um, a few weeks ago. It's where we get the word uh, a scandal or scandalous or something. And it has a rather, I think, abstract or kind of flexible usage in the Bible. There's lots of different ways that it's applied. Um, but a scandalon is the noun form of that verb. Um, a scandalon is a stumbling block a rock of offense, some call it. It's a rock that, quite literally, the image is a rock that you trip on and fall over because of it. Um, so to, to scandalizo someone is to cause them to stumble, to place a rock or stone in front of them that causes them to fall, it blocks them from going somewhere. Um, in other contexts of the Bible, this idea rightfully translated as causing someone to sin, it's like entrapping or enticing someone to sin. Um, it's used in that way, that different kind of metaphor. But in this case, I think Jesus is using welcoming and scandalizing as particular opposites, two options that the church has, welcoming and receiving. Um, so he's saying whoever receives, accepts, or welcomes a child receives me, but whoever scandalizes a person, when I keep saying that, try to wipe out of your mind how we use the word scandal today. Uh, whoever scandalizes or causes to stumble blocks, meaning that in the game that the church inadvertently plays, 
adopting this social hierarchy status game that we can sometimes play, uh, that we can be causing people to stumble, blocking their path to Jesus. And Jesus is saying that whoever does that, whoever functions as that stumbling block, their fate is so bad that it would be better to instantly sink to the bottom of the ocean and stay there. D.A. Carson, a Bible scholar, says, the antithetic alternative, causing the little ones to stumble, does not mean that the little ones are led into apostasy or a rebellion against God. That's the way that uh, in other places in the Bible that, that word is used, um, but not this time. Rather, they are not welcomed but are rejected or ignored. This causes them to stumble in their discipleship. And it may lead to serious sin, but as in some other passages in Matthew, the really grave aspect of the rejection is that it signifies the rejection of Jesus. So in our, the warning is that in our failing, our neglect to accept and welcome people who in some way are different than us, they're of a different social level, whatever that might mean to you, we um, stop them from coming to Jesus perhaps. And so this warning from Jesus is about the importance of the church being a place marked by welcome and reception. And he talks about the consequences on those who stop it from being so. Verse seven, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. This verse speaks to the inevitability of stumbling blocks. Um, Our world is broken. And though it is different from culture to culture, the world is socially broken. Humans can't help but create social hierarchies um, that lift some up and cast others down, whether it's an actual caste system in other parts of the world or honor-shame societies or guilt-innocent societies. Humans are constantly finding ways, intentionally or unintentionally, to push some down so that their status is elevated or to try to climb up and to improve their life status and acceptance in the circles that they wanna be in. Jesus is, I think, in this verse seven, acknowledging that that's the way that the world is. He's not saying it's a good thing. He's saying that's just the way that it is. But then he also places extra responsibility on those who, in their actions, bring about these stumbling blocks, these, these hindrances to people coming to Jesus. Bible scholar R.T. France says, discipleship was never going to be an easy proposition. That is no reason for anyone to make it harder by irresponsible behavior toward fellow disciples. Finally, verses eight and nine. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Jesus has spoken words like these before in the Gospel of Matthew in the context of personal sin during the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, scholar, Bible scholars are divided on why Jesus has said it again here and, and what it means. So, um, Hold on, this is me being unprepared. I'm losing my spot. Give me a moment. Um, Some of the Bible scholars think that Jesus is saying the same thing as before, as earlier in Matthew, that he's warning people about the temptation to sin, and he's saying, be careful and do do drastic things to help yourself not sin, to not be a stumbling block. Um, 
be careful of playing the social status game in such a way that you block people from coming to Jesus. So that, that answer, that, that um, option works and sort of makes sense. But the other option, some scholars say is that Jesus is hinting at here in verses eight and nine, the concept of church discipline, something that he will actually say more, a little more explicitly later in chapter 18. So in verse seven, Jesus says, woe to the person who puts up stumbling blocks. And then immediately says, if your hand, foot, or eye causes you to stumble, cut it off. So amputation of one part to save the rest of the body is the idea that Jesus is bringing up here. And so some scholars think that the hand, foot, or eye that's causing the stumbling is the person in the Christian community who is failing to welcome and accept uh, the lowly people, the would-be followers of Jesus. And so it's possible, I think that this is right actually, that Jesus might be saying, if you've got people in your Christian community who are getting in the way of other people coming to Jesus because they're playing this broken social structure game of the world and they're keeping the lowly people out in some way, they're, they're being a stumbling block. He's saying, I think, you have to cut this person out of your Christian community because they're actually destroying it and they're ruining the whole community by doing this. Grant Osborne says, uh, Jesus takes the personal metaphors of 5, 29, and 30, that's the Sermon on the Mount, and applies them corporately here to the life in the church. The imagery of amputation parallels eight, chapter 18, verse 17, and refers to the excommunication of offending members. As such, this is a call to church discipline. Again, that concept actually makes more sense to me in the context of the passage that we are reading. I also think both are true and can work. Um, so let's uh, summarize our passage before we kind of move on to some other final thoughts about it. Um, the disciples are seeking status in the kingdom of heaven. They wanna be much in God's kingdom. Um, they wanna know who the greatest are and Jesus says the greatest are children because they don't have status and that's not part of their framework of thinking. They are inherently of a humble position which makes them poised to receive the kingdom as Jesus would have them receive it with gratitude and humility, not as a way to socially climb. And Jesus says, whoever humbles themselves takes the position of a child and welcomes and receives and accepts a person of low, less or no status is actually receiving Jesus himself. But if anyone stops or puts a stumbling block in front of someone that is coming to Jesus, their fate is dire. And then finally, um, the church may need to take drastic measures to stop its members from being stumbling blocks to those who would come to Jesus. So now, what might we do in light of what we have just read? Um, this passage is Jesus' instructions for his church. Again, directly applicable to us as we sit here today, and he has presented us with two options as the family of God. Will we be a church that fights against the current of our sinful nature, our inherent desire to associate with people that we like, people that think like us or look like us, or people that in some way in our eyes increase our status or, or make our life feel more comfortable or make our life feel better? Is that, is, are those, those are the only people that we're gonna associate with as a church? Or will we, be, will we be a stumbling block for people who might want to come to Jesus? Or will we welcome 
and fully embrace the lowly. Whatever that might mean to you, I'll throw out some options of what I think that could mean for us, but will we be a church that does this, that unconditionally loves and accepts people into the Christian community when they want to come to Jesus? Or will we maybe unintentionally insulate ourselves from people that make us uncomfortable, people that are different than us? So we have two options, um, welcoming or scandalizing. And I know that that word means something different, but perhaps we will remember it a little better. I wanna define those just a little bit. When we talk about welcoming, uh, I don't mean being friendly at the door of the church. I do want us to be friendly at the door of a church. That would be helpful. Shaking people's hands, making them feel welcome in the building and all that stuff, that's great. We should do that. That is important. But this type of welcoming is way more than that. Um, it is the acceptance, the reception of a person who wants to follow Jesus, accepting them into your life, into your community, as a friend to you, um, even when and especially when this person is of some is different than you, of a lower status, again, whatever that might mean, accepting this person into our community and into the life of our church. Um, I think the word uh, in the original language has to do with receiving someone like into your home. And so in this context, to have someone sit at your table with you and eat a meal with you was extending like a meaningful hand of friendship. Like we can be friends and family and together if it, that's what you're saying if they're gonna sit down at your table. I think that's what this word, I can't remember which one it is, uh, conveys the idea of that you like really truly receive someone into your home or into your life. Again, when we talk about scandalizing, I don't mean causing a scandal. Um, I mean being a scandalon, being a stumbling block, putting up obstacles that cause people to stumble in their journey into the kingdom of God through an expression of the capital C church, which is Valley Church. Um, so this is when we, because of, for probably so many reasons, but because of our desire for normalcy and comfort, maybe status, we fail to welcome and accept uh, fellow disciples or would-be disciples um, into our community who for some reason in our eyes might mess with or threaten our status or comfort or a sense of normal. So in Jesus's day, it would have looked, I think, a little more like blatantly wrong to us if we saw this happening. The disciples might have been tempted. Well, they were tempted to not welcome children into the fold of disciples to be with Jesus. Maybe they would have been tempted to not welcome women. Certainly we see um, them not wanting tax collectors and sinners to spend time with Jesus. That was disrupting their social order. These people that were lower, less than, of lower status than them, to associate with them would have lowered their own status. And so they didn't want Jesus to do that. These people bothered the disciples. Um, and yeah, to be around them would have threatened their status as good Jewish men. But Jesus, Jesus's point is that if any person is in the process of becoming like a child, humbling themselves, wanting to receive, interested in the love and the grace of Jesus, how could we get in the way of that process? And so who are um, the people that we today are tempted to scandalize? to cause to stumble? And what do we do that causes them to stumble? I'm gonna throw out some ideas, but um, what would be even better is if you, as Bible readers, were, were thinking about this just on your own, whether right now you can ignore me and think about it yourself, um, or think about it later of, of how, how 
Valley Church in particular might do this or you just in your own life, in your own life with Jesus. Um, I think sometimes we do this with people that uh, think different from us. In fact, I know we do this. Um, people that think different than us or look different or sin different or are just weird and uncomfortable to us. So when someone clearly thinks differently than us, and unfortunately, because of social media, sometimes you have a clue as to whether they think differently than you before you might actually get to know them as a person. Um, but when someone clearly thinks differently than us about church or about politics, about the world or whatever, it's easy to keep them at arm's length uh, and not welcome them or receive them as Jesus would. Um, sometimes when someone looks different than us, whether it's the color of their skin or the way they dress or the way they smell or carry themselves or the way that they talk, um, this too is another time when it is all too easy for us to um, fail to truly receive and accept someone into your community. There's these barriers up and we, and we allow them to stay up and we are becoming a stumbling block to them being in the community of Jesus. Sometimes it's when someone uh, sins differently than you. Now this has the potential to open a can of worms that I'm not intending to open, so if you think I'm saying something controversial, I'm, I'm probably not meaning to, so. Um, but when people are tempted to sin in different ways than you, struggle with different sins than you, it's really easy to put up walls. We can even defend these walls sometimes theologically, but I think sometimes, I'm not saying all the time, sometimes when we're trying to defend these doctrinal theological walls, we're actually putting up stumbling blocks for people that would come to Jesus. Whether it's the temptation to sin sexually in a way different than you would, um, the temptation to drunkenness or intoxication or escape in different ways than you would do those things. Jesus says, woe to the person who gets in the way of someone who's coming to Jesus. And so if they're, if where they're at, as they're in the process of lowering and humbling themselves, becoming like a child to say, I, I don't have anything to offer you, Jesus. If where you find them in that process alarms you because it's different than you, be careful that we don't become a stumbling block to them as they might come to Jesus. Uh, sometimes it's just when someone is weird or strange to you. And I chuckled when I wrote that. And then the more that I thought about it, I was like, this is the most applicable to me. Not that I'm weird or strange, but <laughs> maybe I am to you. Please receive me. Um, but people that just weird you out and give you the creeps or they make you uncomfortable, you don't get them. Uh, they're hard to carry on a conversation with. They're awkward. Uh, these are the, I don't know another, another way to say this or to, I don't know how to describe how, why I want to protect myself from this so much. People that threaten my sense of social comfort and normal. I don't, know the, I don't know a better way to say that, but people that were I to invite them into my life, they wouldn't like be a necessarily a huge inconvenience or anything. They wouldn't make me feel in danger, but just like you're strange and I feel awkward when I'm around you. And um, when we, yeah, still chuckling about it. When we fail to accept people like this that come into the doors of our church or maybe in the door of your life as part of your Christian community when we keep them at arm's length, it's possible, I, I wanna say a caveat, it's possible that you might function as a stumbling block when we don't 
actually receive them as Jesus would and as you would receive Jesus. Because again, Jesus has promised that when you accept someone like this, you're actually going to experience his presence uh, perhaps in a, in a unique way. And we, we have got to be, the church has got to be, this church has got to be facilitators and conduits for the acceptance and love of Jesus to reach people. It just has to be. What are we doing if we're not doing that? Um, I'm not saying that we can control whether that happens every time, but we should do whatever we can to not be uh, a stumbling block. Um, I think the best way that the church can do this to accept people is with hospitality. Um, and this is, again, beyond welcoming them into your church with a handshake and a smile. Um, this is welcoming them into your home, into your life. And so if you're in a community here at Valley, it's literally welcoming them, welcoming them into your community, even and especially if you are worried that it will mess with the vibe and the comfort of your group. So when we launched our communities way back in the day, um, and this is still true to an extent, we really wanted, placed a high value on consistency for those groups. Um, I had been in, at different churches, groups where they were totally open. So like anybody could come at, at any day or on any week and they would show up and sometimes there'd be like three people that I knew and a, and a lot that I barely knew. And there was basically no foundation for any kind of like um, spiritual formation on a long term. I think that has to happen in the context of trust, people that you actually know and are willing to do life with. And so that's why we started our groups the way we did, where we intentionally placed people and we said, if you wanna be in this, you have to commit to stay in this so that we have an actual foundation of committed Christian community. Um, which is actually great. And I'm, we are proud of those groups and it, I think for the most part has worked. However, there have been a handful of people that have come in and sadly out of Valley who we could not readily plug into these groups because we didn't know how it would work. We didn't know like, are they gonna kind of mess with that group's dynamic? Is it gonna make it difficult for them to get plugged in? There's conflicts between some people. So we're like, there was just a handful of times where we couldn't successfully get people plugged in as quickly as we wanted to get them into a group. And uh, some, some of those people have left. They love Jesus still. They are following him somewhere else, which we are grateful for. Um, but I, I carry a lot of sadness about that. And so um, Mark and I have decided this year that we are going to take another step into the, on the scale of being a little bit quicker and freer to help people get plugged into the actual like community life of our church. Um, it might not be instant, but we are gonna be on it. And so if, you, if you're new, if you guys end up planting here at Valley, um, that is one of our priorities is to help you experience what it means to be fully welcomed and accepted into a Christian community of uh, Jesus followers. So that's one way is, is hospitality into our communities. Um, but it doesn't have to be associated with the like this church or any church at all. It, it could and, and I think should be just you and your life, your neighbors and your coworkers, family or friends who you know are difficult to welcome and to receive and to accept them just as they are. But Jesus may be calling you um, not only to get out of the way and to stop being a stumbling block, but maybe to be the person who um, functions as Jesus to them and, and is the one to embrace them into a kind of um, 
family and friendship, something deeper, which is the relationships that can exist in the church. He might be calling you to be the one to do that. Not through a structure of a church and a community, but just like you as a follower of Jesus, extending that hand of love and acceptance and welcome. Um, And the last thing I wanna say is that, I've mentioned it before, when we do this, I think that we will um, experience a unique expression of the presence of God. And conversely, not experience that if we don't do this. I don't know exactly what that means. I can't stand here and tell you, I remember this one time that we were really welcoming to this person and they came into our church and then the presence of God was here. I'm like, ooh, that's the hospitality of presence version of the Holy Spirit. Like, this is great. Um, But this is what Jesus says. When you welcome one such child in my name, you welcome me. Jesus is like knocking on the door of your church through this person who is asking for acceptance and welcome. And it's like a two for one. You accept this person and welcome them and Jesus, and Jesus joins your church, maybe in an additional way. I know that sounds weird. I'm just trying to read the Bible here, so <laughs> I don't know. Um, the last thing I guess I wanna say um, is all of you are welcome at this church. No matter who you are, how we may be different, or how you may be different from someone else in here, um, I'm thrilled that you're here. And if you would like to come to my house, you can come to my house. And if you want to be in a community and plant roots in this church, we will make that happen for you. We want to welcome and accept you the way Jesus would have us do it. Um, And though I don't think this has happened with people here, if I've ever made you feel less than or unimportant or like you didn't matter to me, I'm genuinely sorry and I'd I'd love to talk to you about it if you ever felt that way. Um, I want this to be a place where we are ready to be a little uncomfortable if it means that we're obeying Jesus to accept and receive people who are different than us, but it it has to be our whole church, can't just be me. So would you join me in that? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you help each of us to just get out of our own head, out of the um, desire to, um, I don't know, stay comfortable and normal, whatever that means to us. Um, Would you... um, just in a way that only your spirit can um, alert us to those moments when someone is in the process of maybe becoming a follower of you and, and is looking for um, the hand of friendship and acceptance. Would you help our church to be um, hospitable, um, hospitable to just receive anybody? We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name.